Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Patricia Engel. Patricia Engel is the author of The Veins of the Ocean, winner of the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, It's Not Love, It's Just Paris, winner of the International Latina Book Award, and Vita, the finalist for the Penn Hemingway and Young Lions Fiction Awards, a New York Times notable book, and winner of Columbia's National Book Award, the Premio Biblioteca de Narrativa Colombiana. She's a recipient of fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts. Her stories appear in Best American Short Stories, Best American Mystery Stories, the O. Henry Prize Stories, and elsewhere. Born to Colombian parents, Patricia teaches creative writing at the University of Miami. Here's Patricia Engel, reading from Infinite Country. It was her idea to tie up at the nun. The dormitory lights were cut every night at 10. Locked into their rooms, girls commanded to a cemetery silence before sleep, waking at dawn for morning prayers. The nuns believed silence a weapon, teaching the girls that only with it could they discover the depths of their interior without being servants to the temptations of this world. To be fair, the nuns were not all terrible. Some Dalia liked very much. She even admired how they managed to turn the condemned penitentiary population into mostly orderly damitas. It was a state facility, a prison school for youth offenders, not a convent and no longer a parochial school. The lay staff reminded the sisters to aim for secularity, but on those missioned mountains, the nuns ran things as they pleased. During the day, under the nuns' watch, the girls practiced their downcast gazes. They attended classes, therapy sessions, meditation groups, completed chores uniformed in gray sweats, hair pulled back, forbidden from gossip and touching, but they did both when out of sight. At night, in the blackness of their dormitory, they gathered to whisper in shards of windowpane moonlight. When the nuns patrolled the hall outside their room, they became masterful moods, reading lips, inventing their own sign language, moving quiet as cats, creeping like bees. They listened for the nuns' footsteps on the level below, sensing vibrations on the wooden floor planks, the search for rule breakers, disruptors their guardians would schedule for punishment at daybreak. 
The night of the escape, the girls made a purposeful noise, so the nun on duty would come tell them to be quiet. Sister Susanna was on the night shift. There were many latecomer nuns at the facility left over from some other failed life. The rumor was Sister Susanna was married until her husband divorced her because she couldn't have children. The plan originated with Dahlia, or maybe her father deserved the credit. That afternoon, she was given rare permission to phone him from the administrative office. Family contact was restricted, since the staff believed they could be a girl's worst influence. Dalia hoped to hear Mauro say he found a way to free her, have her sentence lifted, paid a fine or convinced one of the rich residents of the apartment building where he worked as a janitor to call in a favor on her behalf. One never knows who might be listening especially in a quasi-jail for minors, some of who were murderers on the verge. Dalia said Mauro was careful with their words. They tried everything, he said. There was nothing more he could do. She understood liberating herself from the prison and the country would be up to her. With the help of another girl, she spent an hour ripping bed sheets, twisting them tight as wire, thin as rope. She counted to 1,000 in the darkness, then gave the signal for the other girls to start shouting, fire, fire, fire. Sister Susanna appeared in the doorway. Talia waited to catch her from behind with a pillowcase over the head. They'd cut breathing holes because they weren't trying to kill anyone, only to paralyze with fright. Talia held the nun while the others tried her to a chair with the shredded sheets her breath hot on Talia's hands as another girl shoved a sock between her teeth to gag screams. When Talia arrived to the prison school a month earlier, Sister Susanna had called her into the office and told the 15-year-old she'd studied her life, as if that file of police jottings and psychological assessments on her desk could reveal anything that mattered. You're not like other girls here, she began. Yes, I am, Talia wanted to say. She didn't want to be singled out, treated as an exception, if it meant putting the other girls down. I believe it was your desire for justice that led you to do an awful thing. But you badly injured a man. You could have blinded him. A pause, the rattle of voices in the cafeteria down the hall. She knew Sister Susanna was waiting for a response. A denial, perhaps. More likely, an admission of guilt. The nuns were always scavenging for remorse. Do you want to change? With faith and discipline, anything is possible. Talia was not stupid, so she said yes. Thank you so much for reading for us today. Welcome to the show, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me here. Patricia, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? On a perfect writing day, I would say that I start in the morning um, I like to write by natural light. So I usually start first thing with my coffee at my desk, which is right next to a window. It's very bright and light in there. And I'll go for a few hours until I'll stop for lunch or maybe because I have other things to do in the afternoon. I like to write by silence and hopefully without much interruption. How do you nurture your creativity? Well, I've learned to let my creativity direct me in um, understanding its own pauses and spaces and times when it needs to rest and not interpret that as a lack of productivity, but really just a recalibration of sorts. So when I'm not writing, which is often, 
um, I try to feed my creativity by reading or by exposing myself to other art forms, photography, painting, film, music, and really just keep um, those creative juices flowing somehow. And I find that often that those are actually the most productive um, my, uh, moments in my mind. And it's when stories and ideas are really working themselves out and preparing me for when I'm ready to return to the page and the actual writing process. What's your best writing tip? My best writing tip would be just to show up for your writing. It's um, difficult and unique in the sense that nobody's watching you write most of the time. Nobody is really congratulating you on a job well done that day or noticing your progress. And sometimes your writing victories are, are all your own and you're your only witness. So it can be hard. It can be um, tricky to stay focused and to be disciplined. But really, that's the biggest asset to a writer is just that discipline and dedication for showing up, whether it's day after day or um, a few hours a week, whatever you can manage, but to prioritize it in a way that you would prioritize a medical appointment or perhaps going to the gym or visiting with a friend. You wouldn't leave your friend, uh, you know, um, stranded at a coffee shop waiting for you and just not show up, Right. And you wouldn't do that to a doctor's appointment either. You would show up because you made a commitment. You said you would be there. So I would encourage people to do the same thing for their writing. Treat it like something um, that deserves to be a priority. What would you say is your biggest writing challenge right now? I'm sort of in between books right now. And I have a book coming out. So I'm still talking about a book that's already finished a lot. While in my mind, I'm trying to do the organizing, the mental organizing and preparations before embarking on my next book. So being in between books is is a, a fun space, but it's also a tricky one because I've just got ideas right now. And um, I always have this fear of those ideas just floating away and I'll lose them and forget them if I don't, you know, tackle them and, and get them on the page soon enough. What do you do when you're trying to overcome a block? I don't think of them as blocks. Um, sometimes I'll just think, well, I, I haven't quite found the way to do this yet. Or maybe there's something better that deserves my attention. I think so much of uh, writing is kind of being your own psychologist and um, really not trying to plague yourself with negative language and thinking about the way you get your work done. Uh, so I don't, I, I never feel blocked because I don't use that framing for it. There are days when writing does not come, the words do not come, or the ones that do come, I, I'm not happy with at all. And then instead of focusing on that and feeling all disappointed, I'll just step away. I'll just go for a long walk. Um, I'll read a book. I'll, you know, I'll watch a couple of movies and just give myself time um, to be ready again. I've never really heard anybody describe it psychologically like that. It seems so useful. <laughs> well, it's a lot of you know <laughs> trial and failure, and I, I've learned that being kind to myself is much more useful than than being uh, hard on myself. Mm. What about editing and revising tips? 
This, I think, is very personal. Different things work for different people. Um, a lot of my friends who are writers have very different methods than I do. Um, mine is, is a little bit drastic, some people think. Um, I basically start from scratch with every single draft that I write. Uh, I don't really do any of that cutting and pasting and moving things around. For me, I just feel like I've totally lost control of my work. Um, it's much easier for me to um, print out a draft and go through it and mark it up on the actual paper. And then I'll write my next draft from scratch, uh, letter by letter. Wow. And that way, that way I'm able to really feel, feel the work again and feel as if I'm writing it again for the first time. And I find that it helps me stay connected to it. Um, but when people sometimes ask me for advice on how to, how to break out of kind of the, 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 the trap of endless drafting, I say, just, just start over. <laughs> and, and sometimes people don't like to hear that, but that's what I do. That's what I do. How many drafts like that would you say you typically do when you're writing a book? It's hard to quantify because my first draft is all, already consists of multiple drafts because I, I um, edit as I go. Um, so I use Microsoft Word, nothing fancy, just old-fashioned Microsoft Word. And I'll have a document, and that's my working document. And I'll, I'll do my writing and revising as I go and just write toward the end. So by the time I actually finish that first draft, it's fairly polished, you know, fairly. Mm -hmm. As far as, as polished as the first full draft can be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I would consider that my first draft, right? Oh, then I'll put it away for a while, and then I will, you know, maybe send it to someone to read and and I'll print it out and I'll be thinking about it for a long time before I begin the second draft. And the second draft is the same thing. It's, it's like I said, I start it from scratch. I'll start typing it word by word from scratch and I'll be editing as I go um, until I get through that one and that'll be the second. So um, probably, um, Infinite Country, which is my newest novel, probably went through, um, before it was, um, sold, it probably went through like, like five of those drafts. Talk to me about the relationship between your physical and your mental health in your writing. Well, physical and mental health, I don't know what the connections are at this point. Um, I know that I've been writing for a long time, so I have sort of um, habits that work for me. Like I mentioned, I'm, I'm a much happier writer when I get to write by daylight. I, I don't really like writing by artificial light. But I also, um, fortunately, I live in a warm climate. I live in Florida, and I take very long walks um, on most of my writing days or a jog or whatever, and I find that really helps me to process my ideas when I'm thinking about a work and um, tackle issues that I'm having, very, you know, with a scene or with structure, whatever it is. Um, so I'll, I'll just throw myself into nature for a few hours at the end of a writing day. And I feel like my mind is still writing at that point, right? My mind is still very much in that active writing space. Yeah. But I'm giving my body a chance to breathe and to move and to, um, 
experience nature, which I, I feel is so restorative. What has your experience with publishing been like? My first book, Vita, was published in 2010. So that's 11 years ago already. Um, and things were different then. I do remember that like the Kindle and ebooks were just starting at the time. So you can imagine that feels like eons ago already. Right? Wow. <laughs> but I, um, I didn't know any professional writers in my life. So um, when I decided to embark on this writing life, I, it was with very little direction. Um, I went to graduate school and after that I started submitting stories to literary journals and things like that and uh, sending my work to contests. And um, I found an agent who took me on and sold my first books. So, um, I've been with that agent ever since, and uh, my first three books were with the same publishing house. Uh, I changed for my fourth book, but I've always had a really supportive uh, publishing team, and um, that has really made a, a wonderful difference for me, I think. Who are one or two other women writers or creators we should be aware of right now? I am sharing a publication day with many great books that are coming out. And one of them is by Naima Coster. It's called What's Mine and Yours. It's her second novel. Um, I read it recently. It is wonderful. It's a beautiful family story. And I encourage everybody to check that book out. And also coming out this summer is the latest novel by Carolina de Robertis. It's called The President and the Frog. She's an exceptional writer. And this is also, um, you know, kind of a departure for her, but also in line with her previous work, which is just gorgeous and so nuanced and profound. And so I'm really excited for people to read that this summer. And where can listeners find you online? My website, um, patriciaengel.com, has um, the latest with regard to my, my books and my writing. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, you can find me there too. Thank you for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today, Patricia. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I so enjoyed talking with you. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting the prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now, we just want to write something new and see what happens. Here's Patricia. So I'm going to suggest a writing prompt that connects to the passage that I read a little earlier. The nun, Sister Susanna, tells Talia, that she believes that it was her desire for justice that led her to do an awful thing. I would encourage you to write about a time in your life when you did what some people might consider the wrong thing for the right reasons. It was great to talk to Patricia Engel this week. My key takeaways from our conversation were that she prefers to write by natural light. She treats her writing appointments with herself as something that deserves priority, just like any other appointment on her calendar. She doesn't revise, she just writes a whole new draft. 
and she says she tries not to plague herself with negative language or negative thinking about the way she gets her work done. What great advice from Patricia Engel. Her new book, Infinite Country, is out now and has been selected as a Reese's Book Club pick. I'll be doing a book giveaway for a hardcover copy of Infinite Country on my Instagram this week, so be on the lookout for that. Right now, I'm also planning episodes for the summer. Do you have authors that you're eager to hear on the show? Send me a DM on Instagram or message me through the website and let me know who I should reach out to. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and this is Fierce Women Writing. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at Fierce Women Writing. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.